Welcome to Mind Love, episode 57. Today's episode is all about breathwork to manage stress and expand our life force. So what I'm going to tell you right now is going to be a total paradigm shift on your way of looking at the human body. What they realized was that actually the breath is our connection to the nervous system. And we can control the energy flow in the body just through the breath. Because the breath is the one thing that runs on autopilot, but we also have conscious control over. Breath has a rhythm, inhale and exhale. And that the rhythm of breath is the primary rhythm of the entire body. And every single biological function in the body is dependent on rhythm. Turn up your frequency with Mind Love. Bite-sized brain hacks for seekers, dreamers, and doers. It's time to give your mind a little love with your host, Melissa Monti. First, Mind Love is a CastBox original. CastBox is the fastest growing, highest rated podcast app on both iOS and Android. And for good reason, the app is awesome. You can still listen to Mind Love wherever you get your podcasts, but I hope you'll give CastBox a try. Second, please stop what you're doing and hit the subscribe button. More subscribers means even better guests and even more value. Plus, it helps grow the show so more people can find it. And if you ask me, everyone can use a little more mind love. And if you need another reason, I would really appreciate it. Hi, friends. The human body is miraculous. Yeah, so there's some downsides. Everyone either knows someone with cancer or has cancer themselves. Obesity is higher than it's ever been. And heart disease is the number one killer in the U.S. But other than those things, think about it. Most of the population barely moves their bodies. Most makeup or body products are basically poison that we're using on the most absorbent organ in our bodies. Cleaning products around the house are basically poison that we're breathing in. We eat poison that's just calories to feel full, when a lot of the times, some of this food literally is acting as a poison within our systems. Think sugar, processed foods, foods covered in pesticides or injected with hormones and antibiotics. With all of that stuff going on, it's a wonder Uncle Gary lived past 30. Actually, I have an Uncle Gary now. I guess I need to be more careful with my made-up examples when I marry into a family of 150. All the good names are taken. But anyways, (laughs) when you put it into perspective, how much your body has to fight off based on your current lifestyle, it's really a miracle that we're alive to see another day. We treat our bodies this badly, and then our body even screams for help through symptoms and aches and pains and we just cover it up with meds. It's like taking only painkillers for a broken knee and walking it off. Not only does that just not help, it makes it worse. It heals wrong. You walk with a really uncool swagger for the rest of your life. So let me shift out of Debbie Downer mode for a second and think about this. If our bodies are doing all of this for survival constantly, what else is it capable of? Today, we are furthering our work on breaking free of the mental matrix that is our medical system, and we're learning about breath work. Breathing is our life force on a basic level. Can I say life force on a basic level? That sounds like an oxymoron. But I'm beginning to realize that breath work may be one of the most powerful things we can do to supercharge our strength, our health, and our life. 
The yogis have known for centuries what many of us are just figuring out now. Way back in episode nine, we discussed Wim Hof, who's been called superhuman for his records of climbing Mount Everest in shorts and taking a two-hour ice bath without a drop in his body temperature. It's amazing. And his method starts with the breath. So today we're talking to Naraj Nayak, also known as the renegade pharmacist. While working as a pharmacist, he saw so many people taking bags of pills and of course, always coming back for more, never really getting better. Well, he got into the profession to help people, so he started digging. He had a wake-up call, well, a few, some bigger than the others, which he will tell you all about. That was basically the universe shouting that he needed to change his lifestyle. He not only saved his own life, but now he makes holistic health and these powerful breathwork techniques accessible to everyone. Today's episode is so informative, and we get into some really fascinating parts of our human history. But three key things we will learn are how our breathing patterns are symbolic of our overall health. <clears throat> if you have sleep apnea or some other breathing irregularity, pay attention. How we can control stress and our autonomic nervous system through the breath. And a few powerful breathwork exercises that you can do at home. Before we get started, I want to tell you about the best way to stay in your highest frequency between episodes. Thousands of listeners are loving my daily morning mind love emails. They're short daily reminders of your own beauty, magic, and power so you can start each day with your best mindset. Just go to mindlove.com and sign up right there on the homepage. Plus, you'll get some amazing free gifts when you do. First, you'll get a really cool free booklet of Powerless based on proven methods from the most successful people in the world to automate your highest decisions. Plus, you'll get a free guided affirmation meditation. It's set with a binaural frequency known as the Miracle Tone, which is known to make you a magnet for love, health, and abundance. Then it's layered with affirmations to perfectly tune your frequency for transformation. Just go to mindlove.com to sign up. Or if you're out and about, just text the word morning to 33777. That's morning to 33777. And now let's welcome Naraj Nayak to the show. Thank you. So glad to be here. Well, first, I guess I want to know how you got the name The Renegade Pharmacist. Okay, so good question. Well, actually, I used to be a community pharmacist many years ago. That's what I did at university. and I ended up working like in this profession, which really I didn't really have much passion for. And as soon as I got into it, I really realized very quickly the whole system and how it's designed is not really what I actually expected. It's like the whole system is geared towards, you know, not really treating the cause of an illness and more about maintaining a disease by alleviating the symptoms as so allopathic so this goes against what I believe in now from everything I've learned. But at that time, I had this real deep feeling that something was not right. I used to see people going away with shopping bags full of drugs like every month, you know, not getting better. Many people very disparate. And it just made me more and more depressed because I thought I was somebody who was here to help. But I felt like I was just making people worse. And it just put me into an insane spiral of depression, negativity. And anyway, what happened was I got dragged by a friend to a um, Tony Robbins event, actually, by funny chance. And I was like going to this event 
like wondering what, what am I doing at this kind of rah-rah guru thing. But anyway, I, I went to it and it was amazing. But on the last day, he talks all about diet and its relationship to your health. And it was the first time I ever heard anyone talk about stuff like this, because in university, we don't get any education at all. As a pharmacist, there's zero education. I think doctors get about two weeks or something. Anyway, what happened was I decided to make my job a bit more fun. And I was full of all this motivation and inspiration from this event by seeing if I could change people's diets within the pharmacy and see if I got any positive results. And anyway, long story short, I created this healthy shopping list system for patients. They go away, get the food that I recommended, come back. And actually, I had such amazing success with it. I was like inundated with feedback, testimonials, even doctors phoning me up asking me, you know, um, what am I doing and to carry on. And that got me promoted to the head office, actually, of one of the largest supermarket companies in the UK. And I carried out this project, which could have helped you know, millions of people around the world. But and they actually wanted it originally. And then I think the more they discovered the impact this could make and the fact that I was saying some pretty controversial stuff back then, like, you know, don't eat sugar, don't eat artificial flavorings and preservatives and, and you know, just eat real food. And that would have impacted their profits quite greatly. So I got told my ideas were too renegade. And in the end, projects that I've worked so hard to do to get out of my job as a pharmacist was about to get shelved. So did they fire you after all that? So it meant that I ended up becoming a pharmacist again. That was what I was facing. And at this point, I got struck with a lightning bolt and I got a chronic illness called ulcerative colitis, which left me housebound for like a year. And I had medication in the beginning and it was an autoimmune condition. But I got given literally two paths, like path A was either be a guinea pig for a drug that hasn't been tested yet, or path B was to have my colon removed and basically shit blood in a colostomy bag for, for the rest of my life, which at the age of like 30, it was the most depressing thing ever. And they say God stands for gift of desperation. So I actually was praying a lot at this point, like for my life pretty much. And thankfully, with grace of God, a now very dear friend of our family, Swami Ambikananda, she came to the rescue and said to me, there's a third path. And if you choose to follow it, you could become a great inspiration to people. And that was this path of going down yoga, pranayama, breathwork, meditation. And literally within a few months, I cured myself from this chronic illness. I learned these very ancient traditional yoga techniques for controlling your physiology and that was it then I created a, a website because I got a lot of people asking like, how did I do it so instead of just like reeling off you know the same conversation over and over again I decided to create the website the renegadepharmacist.com that became really popular because I made a article about coca-cola that was talking all about my um, experiences in the supermarket and how many people drink coca-cola and the dangers of it it went massively viral. It became a huge sensation all around the world. I was on the front page of like all these newspapers and magazines and blogs. And then I ended up on the defining moment was ending up on Fox TV, daytime TV. And they used my infographic to make a whole kind of case against Coca-Cola and diet drinks. And then there was my name, the renegade pharmacist up in lights on Fox TV. <laughs> so that was pretty much it. That was when I realized that actually... Uh, 
there's something to all this meditation stuff, you know? So, yeah. It's so crazy how the universe or your intuition or whatever you want to call it will whisper its guidance in your ear. And if you don't listen, it'll just punch you in the face. I experienced something similar with my eating disorder. So I had been on a path to healing since I had gone through yoga teacher training. I was surrounding myself with more positive people. I was meeting more people that were on a path to spirituality. And so with this lifestyle change, my binges were getting fewer and further between. And I thought that since I had improved so much, this was okay. This amount of progress was okay. It was so much better than what it used to be, and it'll probably get better from here. But I wasn't necessarily doing more to go beyond what I already had. The problem was, I still had a terrible relationship with food. It would be fine most of the time, but then something would trigger it, and I might binge again. But instead of every day, instead of five times a day, it was once every few weeks. One day, I had been going about it this way for a while, and I got these intense stomach pains to the point that I could barely stand up. I ended up going to the doctor, and I knew what it was from, and I knew that it had to be bad. So at the doctor, I found out I had chronic gastritis, and I was told that I basically destroyed my stomach lining, and this was going to be a lifelong battle. The doctor prescribed me a prescription called Nexium. I started to take it. I did start to feel a little bit better, but soon after, I found that this medication the doctor had just given me is linked to dementia. So I decided I was going to do it my way. And that was really the origins of my holistic path. It eventually led me to a vegan diet. And after six weeks of being on a vegan diet, my stomach issues cleared up. So I really feel like the universe or my intuition, we're both, <laughs> they're one and the same really, was trying to tell me this isn't the way. Don't just take a pill. You can't press the easy button out of this one, Melissa. You've got to do the work. You have to heal internally. So that's what I did. You mentioned that the pharmaceutical industry is really about maintaining the illness by hiding the symptoms. So just so everyone is on the same page, can you go into a little bit more about what you see the main problems are with the pharmaceutical industry and why this is happening? Well, what you have to do is take a bird's eye view of the industry itself. So what does a business want? A business wants to generate profits, right? So in healthcare, how do you make a profitable business? Well, from a marketing perspective, if you were the, the head of marketing of a, a pharmaceutical company, what you want is a customer for life. So if you cure someone, that's it. The customer's gone. They're not going to buy from you again. And repeat customers is what you want. So the other thing you want is a patent, because if you have a patent on a product, it means that nobody else can copy it, replicate it, which means insane profit potential, especially if we're dealing with health and diseases, which affects like massive populations. So putting all those things together, the pharmaceutical industry is by design a profit based industry, which makes trillions and trillions of dollars in profit and it does this by giving you drugs that just treat symptoms 
and all the research that goes into making the drugs is completely biased towards treating symptoms and not looking at the cause or the cures. So any research that is towards uh, actually like the cause of a, an issue and trying to fix that is completely kind of like ignored. And any data that suggests that a drug may have side effects or this can also sometimes be suppressed. What they do is they tend to display you very cleverly using statistics, information about drugs performance that is not statistically true. Like it may appear to be, but it isn't when you go deeper. And I found this, I discovered this through my investigations on statins and the way statins have become a trillion dollar business and how they convoluted the entire research and studies in order to fool everyone into thinking that cholesterol causes heart disease when it doesn't. Oh, wow. I didn't know that about cholesterol. You know, the whole world got fooled by drug companies. Yeah. So there's a common argument that I hear all the time, and it's that now we have these medications and vaccines and surgeries, all that help us live longer than we ever have. So how is it possible that we can be less healthy now than we used to be? Well, okay, so you got to ask yourself a question. Do you want a long life with very low quality of life, or do you want a shorter life with incredible quality where you're just doing what you love? I mean, that's the first debate that's going on. The second thing is, how about having a long life? That is also high quality. But that is not what the mainstream way of life creates. It creates a sick society by design. And the way it does that is by suppression of knowledge. So, you know, kids are dumbed down on a lot of subjects when it comes to the health. And then you go to university and scientists and doctors and medical people that you're supposed to trust, their education is indoctrinated and they get like very little knowledge on actually what it truly means to be healthy. And this just like has a trickle effects all over the world because the educational systems are mirroring what are considered, you know, the top educational systems, which is America and England, when they're not, you know, they're they're really, really actually dumb because they don't really give you a quality of life. If you follow the practices that your a doctor tells you to do, then you will be taking a plethora of drugs for the rest of your life. And those side effects of those drugs are going to make your quality of life worse and worse and worse. And the other thing is that it doesn't go to the cause of your problems. The cause of the problems is that we've created a sick society psychologically and spiritually. What do you mean when you say a sick society? And if this is your first time giving your mind a little love, I have a few goodies for you. First, don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And second, sign up for the Morning Mind Love. Think of it like a weekday oracle from your highest self to help you start each day with a positive focus. Plus, you'll get two gifts absolutely free, a 30-minute binaural meditation and 30 days of journaling prompts to help you remember who you truly are. So join over 9,000 people and go to mindlove.com to sign up or text the word morning to 33777. Do you love story-driven podcasts? I do. And there's a brand new one that I think you're going to love. It's called You Probably Think the Story's About You. The story just grabs you from the start. It all starts with Brittany, who thinks she's found her soulmate, only to find out 
things aren't as they seem. So she goes on a mission to find out the truth. And as she digs deeper, she realizes the guy's a master of deception. But here's the thing. As Brittany unravels his lies, she ends up on this journey of self-discovery. She starts to see how her own complicated past with addiction, sisterhood, and deep family bonds all have shaped her. And that's when it hits you. This story isn't really about him at all. It's about Brittany finding herself and learning who she really is. Trust me, you'll be hooked from episode one, wondering where Brittany's path will lead her next. It's a story that'll make you look at your own life and relationships in a whole new way. Seriously, grab your headphones and start from episode one of You Probably Think This Story's About You. You'll laugh, you'll cry, and you'll come out feeling heard and stronger. Listen and follow You Probably Think This Story's About You wherever you listen to podcasts. What do you mean when you say that we've created a sick society? In the way the marketing of products are, in terms of creating problems, making everyone feel insecure, making everyone feel like they're not enough, making women like have to present themselves in a certain way because that's so-called attractive. And then so women, you know, like Angelia Jolie took both her breasts out for fake breasts purely because the doctors said to her that she has like some really small percentage chance that she may get breast cancer. And so she did this insane operation. And we all know that the implications of having breast implants, they're probably just as risky or more risky. You know, like there's so many women who've had breast implants who get problems from the surgery. So but she's gone and done that to cosmetically make herself look better and to lower the reduce of breast cancer because they did some genetic study. Now, here's the thing. There is this study done called the MR Fit study, Mr. Fit study, right, which is one of the longest running studies. And it was done over a 25 year period. And they discovered that there is no such thing as a risk factor. All right. So what doctors do is that they do health checkups. So at any given time, only a small percentage of the population are actually sick. Most people are completely fine and they're well, but they're like mind washed, brainwashed into thinking that they're sick. So what they do, the doctors do is they call them in for health, routine health checkups. That's it. You're screwed. As soon as you go for a routine health checkup, you're screwed. It's like taking your car to a mechanic for a servicing and then suddenly you got all these things wrong with it when it was running fine for a year. Right. Same thing happens to the doctors. They do these. They put all these machines onto you. They do all these checkups and they give you scores based on averages human bodies are not average we're not governed by averages we are very very irrational creatures okay and everything runs unlinearly without any logic or reason actually you cannot make an average blood pressure reading uh, for every single person on the planet like what your level of high blood pressure is compared to mine is very different we're all very individual very different the ancient like systems like Chinese medicine and Ayurveda from India, they take into account that everyone's different. Okay, whereas the mainstream like corporate factory-based society is that everyone's a robot, we're all machines, and that we should all be treated like machines. And so, therefore, with health checkups, they just put averages on them. So, if you're a little bit over the average of cholesterol, they'll give you a statin. If your blood pressure is a little bit over the average, they'll give you blood pressure medication instantly because they get paid to do that. That's how they make their money, especially in America. The whole thing 
is driven towards that, right? It's driven towards the incentive to prescribe because you get more bonuses, you get more money. Whereas in the Chinese system, actually, you get paid based on the number of patients that are healthy, right, without any treatment. Okay, so it's the opposite. Whereas in our UK and American systems and European systems, it's like you get paid based on the amount of drugs you prescribe. It's completely wrong. That should not be how it is. So this is why you have this massive epidemic in the world now. Everyone is like at risk based on these risk factors. So then people go in the health checkups. They're slightly at risk. So they give them drugs. Okay, I'm going to be honest here. I used to think, yeah, just give me the drugs. They're like super pills. I can do what I want and the drugs will fix all the damage I do. And yeah, I'm kind of embarrassed by that because so much of this seems like common sense now. So I don't know if it's that ignorance is bliss or you don't know what you don't know, but I was just too blind to see this other side or maybe I didn't want to see it. So if you're listening out there and your mind is blown, you're not alone. But how can these medications prescribed by doctors who are there to help us actually be harmful to us? What are the dangers? Those drugs then cause what is known as adverse drug reactions. They're the biggest cause of death in the world right now. Okay, They kill more people than cancer and heart disease. Adverse drug reactions. The biggest murderers on the planet are doctors. And they don't want to be, but they are because that's how they've been indoctrinated. Pharmacists and doctors are the biggest murderers on the planet right now. And um, the whole system's designed that way. And who knows why or how this has been allowed to happen, but it has. So this is what we're dealing with. And thank God for the fact that these ancient yogis and uh, shamans and rishis and all this stuff figured all this stuff up thousand years ago, because now it's making a big resurface and resurgence. This is what my work is now. My whole goal was to bring together systems of lifestyle change because lifestyle your environment is everything you become your environment okay and there's no drug that is intelligent enough to fix your lifestyle fix is a bad word because it doesn't fix anything what it does is alters the chemistry in your system surgery all it does is affect the organ that it's like you're trying to surgically remove and that leads to many many side effects when Your body has a natural innate intelligence and ability to heal itself if it's given the right environment to do so. So what I do is all about giving people the right environment. That's what I do. My dad died of cancer, lymphoma, and I'm angry at myself for not knowing then what I know now. He was diagnosed, put on chemo, and then just withered away pretty quickly. He died less than a year later. And it's interesting because... A while ago, my dog was getting a checkup and they found a heart murmur. And my first thought was, well, what do I need to do? What medications does he need? And then I thought, hold on, if there's holistic options for humans, there have to be holistic options for dogs. And then I thought, well, wait, what if that doesn't work? And I was noticing this interesting tug of war between what I believe now and what I've been told my whole life. And so I realized If there's that much hesitancy to go a new route with my dog, albeit he's a part of me, what if I were in that position? How would I find that courage? Because I think that's what it is. So what was that like for you as a pharmacist? 
where the standard medical route is really deeply ingrained. You had been doing that, living that, breathing that for years. So how did you find the courage to go against the grain and take this new route? Well, that's such a good question because I was the most skeptical person of all. I really didn't want to believe my Swami at the time, right? Because my mum's actually a doctor. They're very indoctrinated into this kind of scientific reductionist everything and also my outer family extended family they're all doctors and scientists and so I was very much brainwashed from a young age into this reductionist scientific view of the world and by my educational side of physics chemistry biology at school so I was already very much skeptical about this stuff but when you're faced with a life or death situation do or die situation right there's a few things that you can do. You can either just trust the doctor, okay? So I did that. So in the beginning, I surrendered. And I got so sick, okay, doing that, that I realized that this can't be it. This cannot be the right way. It didn't make sense. So that triggered me to really pay attention to my Swami. Actually, because I was a little bit into personal development because of Tony Robbins. And not everyone has the pleasure of meeting somebody who's so good at motivating change as somebody like him you know i was at one of his events so i got like really curious about this one mantra that he preaches which is success leaves clues so if you want to become successful in any area of your life just follow people who are already successful right so i had that in my mantra and i was like hold on a minute why don't i just find people out there who have actually healed themselves from this disease right and see what they're doing and my Swami actually had cured herself from cancer. She had uh, had heart disease at a young age. So that's what dro drove her towards yoga. So that firstly made me believe in her. Secondly, I went out there and I went onto forums and stuff and I found a lot of negativity. So I didn't go, I turned off the forums and I started to go onto YouTube and search for people who had cured themselves from ulcer colitis and then contact them and see what they were doing. And it turned out that most of them did the similar things, which was change of diet, lifestyle changes. But what made the most sense to me was when my Swami explained to me the science of breath. And I read a few books on the science of breath and how the breath influences the physiology. And that's when the aha moment went off. I was like, right, now I get it. And then when I started to start experimenting with these like kind of breath techniques from these shamanic periods and I saw these instant results, I was like, now here's something. And then I went, I went into the Ayurveda and I tried some of their practices for healing the gut. It all made sense. Then I read a book all on Ayurveda and the perspective of healing from a Vedic Ayurvedic perspective. And I realized that actually that you can cure a disease by aligning the energy in the body and the physiology and the outlook on life and how this then matched people like Bruce Lipton and things that like they were talking about and Deepak Chopra and everything seemed to just make sense when I spread my knowledge and I started to source information from people who had been successful. Yeah, I said earlier that now these things almost seem like common sense. So you have to wonder why couldn't I see it before? But I've been noticing lately that sitcoms or movies will show the crazy hippie ant saging and using essential oils. So the mainstream media makes it seem crazy. 
So we have this fear around adopting a new way, which is really an old way, but it's new to us. But I found that most of the people that argue the most against it haven't taken the time to learn. They're educated by the mainstream media and they assume that, well, the doctors are the professionals. They should have this taken care of. They have our best interest at heart. But the more I learn about the way the mind and the body work and the way they work together, the more our medical system doesn't make sense. It's like giving us painkillers for a broken knee, which obviously will never really heal it. So for me, once that veil was lifted, I couldn't unlearn it. Whenever I went to see my consultant, the consultant was more unhealthy than any of those other people. So I was like thinking, actually, all the doctors I know, all the health, so-called health professionals I know, aren't more unhealthy than even me in some cases. I remember there was one guy who was a pharmacist who I used to see sometimes because my mum used to have a little office in his, she was uh, working there. And he just died at the age of like 48. He was the most miserable guy I'd ever met. Never sport, and he was just so miserable with his job. And I actually was a bit worried because this was the profession I was getting into and I knew that it was the job that was killing him. And then boom, he just died one day, like popped off. This was all around the time when I got sick. There's all these little signs coming to me and signals telling me that we have been brainwashed and that I am here and I'm kind of been guided towards this new way, which is actually the old way, and that I need to really pay attention to this. You mentioned that learning about the science of breathwork was your first aha moment, like this makes sense. So what did you learn that was so transformative? Okay, so I'm going to tell you right now, is going to be a total paradigm shift on your way of looking at the human body, okay? So get ready for this. Here's a little brief synopsis on the science of breath, okay? So thousands and thousands of years ago, there was a legend, the legend of Soma. And what these stories are about were, they're a collection of like philosophies and ways to live your life based on even earlier, more ancient traditions, because Everything was orally recorded back then. And then the Rig Veda was the first written manuscript. So imagine this is like, could be even be 10,000 years old stuff, right? But at this point, people were living in this kind of Garden of Eden, right? There's far fewer people on the planet. They were living in abundance. And much like these old Bible sto stories of the Garden of Eden, and when there's very few people on the planet, and people lived in harmony with nature, Okay. And imagine at this point, you're living in abundance, you're in harmony with nature, you're curious about everything, the stars, the planets, and life in general. And so what do you do? You start taking psychedelics, right? So the Soma ritual was the first psychedelic shamanic rituals that people did. And they would use this to reach these sudden heightened ecstatic states of consciousness where they would speak to the spirit world, right? Much like we now have this resurgence of this kind of psychedelic culture with mushrooms and ayahuasca and all this stuff, they were doing this thousands and thousands. And you, you could argue that this is the origins of our modern cultures, is when man and humans and people started to experiment with psychedelics. And it gave people knowledge and wisdom about everything. Anyway, that's another topic. But what happened was this gave birth to the first civilizations okay, on the planet and they were known as like the Soma cults at this time. As they started to spread out around the planet, the Soma starts to run out. 
okay? Because it doesn't grow everywhere. It grows in certain regions. And everyone freaks out. So God Indra, who's like, ever, so everyone's considered a god. I still consider everyone on this planet a god and a goddess. But back then, you know, imagine everyone was a god and goddess. The gods on the planet, God Indra said, we must find a way to create the soma within. And the soma within, you can imagine the soma is the spirit molecule, the DMT, the endogenous DMT. And it gives us this like divine connection to everything and the oneness of eternity and reality. So in doing that, in trying to find out how we can create the soma within, they discovered actually that we have every single substance that exists in nature already contained within us. We have an inner pharmacy. And the way to tap into that is through the breath. Okay, and this was the origins of Tantra. So Tantra and yoga, pretty much the same thing. Tantric practices of Hatha yoga and all this stuff have the same common root, all right? So this is how they discovered everything about the human body, was this pursuit of ecstasy, this pursuit of the bliss state, all right? And they discovered that we have this autonomic nervous system, all right? Sympathetic, parasympathetic. Okay, mini physiology lessons so we can all be refreshed from those things we learned in seventh grade. The autonomic nervous system is a network of nerves, and they basically regulate the unconscious body functions. This lets us have an experience on this planet without having to worry about all the crap our body has to do to live another moment, like heartbeat and immune system and breathing and digesting and all those things going on behind the scenes. Well, two of the main parts of the nervous system are the parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous systems. So the parasympathetic nervous system controls the body when it's at rest. It's rest and digest mode that allows us to go into a healing state. So think about Shavasana, the end of a yoga class. The sympathetic nervous system controls our fight or flight response. It's the action side. It creates energy. The problem is sometimes our lifestyles can train it in a way to create stress all the time. Instead of just getting stressed when we're running late, our body is creating stress behind the scenes automatically while we're getting a massage. And that's why a lot of us live in this constant state of stress day to day. But we'll get into that in a minute. Okay, so we have been brainwashed in modern times out of the ability to control this autonomic nervous system. We've been told that this is beyond control, right? That it's only in the realms of the unconscious mind and that you need either drugs or invasive surgery to affect it. This is what conventional science has told us. Whereas yogis have known thousands and thousands of years ago that this is a load of bollocks, that actually we can uh, tap into the physiology and the neurology at will, consciously. I remember reading Autobiography of a Yogi, and they talked about gurus controlling their heart rates. So I always assumed that I needed to meditate on a hill for three days straight in order to access that superpower. <laughs> so what were they tapping into? What they realized was that actually the breath is our connection to the nervous system. And we can control the energy flow in the body just through the breath, because the breath is the one thing that runs on autopilot, but we also have conscious control over. And actually, breath has a rhythm, inhale and exhale. And that the rhythm of breath is the primary rhythm of the entire body, right? So it's also a mirror of the state of our health. 
so all the other rhythms in your body, like the circadian rhythm, the infradian rhythm, they all are subservient to the rhythm of breath. And every single biological function in the body is dependent on rhythm, these rhythms. All right. So the waking and sleeping cycle, the melatonin production and all this stuff is totally dependent on your rhythm. Okay. And how rhythmical and how much in a flow you are. So when you have an erratic breathing pattern, it's a mirror of an erratic nervous system and a physiology. So just by changing the rhythm of your breath, we can actually harmonize the functions of your body instantly, very fit, fast, very, very quickly. And it has the effect of also of like drugs, but without the side effects. This is the magic of it all. Well, as most of us know, we're living in this constant state of stress. There's so much stress in our current environment, in our current lifestyles, whether we're putting it on ourselves or if it's happening automatically. So how can this help our stress factor? You know I'm all about aligning in every aspect of life, right? Well, that philosophy extends to hiring too. When it comes to finding the perfect fit for your business, sometimes the best approach is to stop the endless searching and start focusing on alignment. And that's where Indeed comes in. Indeed is like the matchmaker of the hiring world. With millions of job seekers visiting their platform every month, their powerful matching engine is designed to connect you with candidates who truly align with your needs and values. But here's the thing. Indeed isn't just about finding any old match. They're committed to delivering quality. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed provides the highest caliber of candidates compared to other job sites. And that's the kind of alignment I'm talking about. As a busy mom juggling episodes, clients, retreat planning, family life, I just don't have time to waste on a drawn out hiring process. And that's why I love Indeed because it streamlines everything from scheduling interviews to screening applicants and messaging potential hires all in one central hub. And the more you use Indeed, the smarter it gets. It learns from your preferences. With over 3.5 million businesses worldwide trusting Indeed to align them with top-notch talent, it's pretty clear that this platform is the real deal. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash mindlove. Just go to indeed.com slash mindlove right now and support my show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mindlove. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I need to get something off my chest. Sometimes I wake up feeling like I hate everything. Like this dark cloud is over my day and I look to the past and the future and everything feels tainted like this is how it's always been. Those type of days used to last months and now they're pretty few and far between and they rarely last more than a few hours, but it can still make me feel like a fraud. I'm sharing this because I know that we all carry around these things that make us feel different or less than, but if we keep them bottled up, the shame spirals and creates more problems than that initial thought. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. For me, just talking things through is hugely helpful, but it's difficult finding friends or family that are unbiased or non-judgmental. Therapy isn't just about dealing with major trauma, you know. It's about learning healthy coping mechanisms, setting boundaries, becoming the best version of you. BetterHelp makes it super convenient, too. Everything's done online, so you can fit therapy sessions around your schedule. 
Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash MindLove today and get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash MindLove. How can this help our stress factor? So let me now just talk a little bit about thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago when we were living in tribes in our ancestral times, the sympathetic nervous system played a very important role. If you were in danger because a lion came at you, so say you live in a jungle and you've got lions, tigers and bears trying to attack you, right? We have this instinctive mechanism, the sympathetic nervous system that kicks us into gear creates adrenaline and puts us into action to either attack or to run away or just in fear, be paralyzed and stand still or cower up in a ball. Okay. The one that we really want is not the paralyzed one, but this is something that affects a lot of people in the modern world, but we want the action one. We want to move. We want to be courageous. Okay. It's a different emotion to fear and paralysis. So this sympathetic nervous system is very good back then. It serves us very well. However, fast forward to this time, our modern day now, we have, instead of a jungle, we have a concrete jungle called the city. And instead of lions, tigers and bears, we have bosses, relationships that may not be working, bills, deadlines and all this stuff, right? Pressures of just living in this crazy world and the TV to bombarding us with negativity. So. We're not able to escape it. Like, so we can't run away like we can from a lion in the jungle and we can't go and kill our boss, right? even if we might secretly want to. So we have to be in the environment of stress all the time. And we don't have an off switch. We don't have an instinctive, immediate off switch for that stress, whereas animals do. That's the one difference between us and animals. Animals can just run away from the stress and shake it off. They shake. And they shake things over. You see a cat or a dog, they shake when they've had a bit of stress, right? You know, yeah, I do know that. And I've adopted it as a method. I'll just shake everything or <laughs> try to get the blood flowing when I'm feeling stressed. But if there's a better way, please do share. <laughs> so the yogis figured out ways for us to switch off stress at will. And the breath is one of the primary ways of doing it. Because when we breathe in, we stimulate the sympathetic nervous system. When we breathe out, we stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system. So simply, if you breathe out for a longer time than you breathe in, you start to stimulate the parasympathetic nervous system, especially if you keep it as a rhythm. If you keep a rhythmic breathing where you're extending your exhalation, that rhythmic breathing with extended exhalation will switch on your parasympathetic nervous system and turn off the stress. But if you breathe in a perfect rhythm, so say music has a four to the four bleed, like like house music, dance music, right? So if you breathe like in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four. Now, it doesn't matter if you're doing deep breathing, okay, or anything like that. Well, I mean, it's important to do diaphragmic breathing. That's another topic. But just the rhythm, the rhythmic breathing alone, especially if you use your nose, you shouldn't breathe through your mouth. You should always use your nose because your nose is a filter. It's designed to filter the air. Okay, what it will do is it will harmonize every single function in your body, including your circadian rhythm and all these other rhythms, because those rhythms are a reflection of your rhythm of your breath. Even if you just do it for a few minutes a day, 
you can get back into flow. It's amazing. And you create this state called coherence, which actually is something that heart math actually talks a lot about, did a bit studies on it. And this coherence is this state of emotional well-being where your emotions go into balance. Okay. And it's a heart-centered state where your heart is radiating an electromagnetic field that is much bigger than if you're in a, a state of stress. And this coherence also rubs off on other people around you. So just by getting to coherence, it can actually rub off on somebody who isn't in coherence. And so you being in this positive flow state can actually affect somebody around you or in your environment. And actually, you can become more attractive as a person as well, simply by being coherent and being in the state of coherence. I'm working quite closely with HeartMath at the moment. They're brilliant. So these are just simple fundamentals. Rhythmic breathing, okay, getting into a rhythm of your breath and being mindful of that, right? That's such a good point to keep in mind because I say this all the time, but we are 99.999% energy. Well, we actually radiate 24 inches or more beyond our bodies and that will expand or decrease based on our frequency. So raising your own vibration can be one of the best things you do for everyone else around you. Now, here's the other thing. What governs health? Okay, comes down to your energy. Your so the Vedic scientists thousands of years ago wrote scriptures called the Upanishads, which now quantum physicists refer to now a lot as their their literature that they study from, because the Upanishads are some of the best kind of templates and models of the universe that now exists. Because the quantum world, it's a world which we're only just beginning to understand, but it seems like these Vedic scientists have had a, an amazing understanding of it. And they talk about everything being energy. Every single thing that exists is energy. Okay. And they came up with the Advaita philosophy, non-duality, that matter and energy exist at the same time equally. And with that knowledge, we understand the energy production and the physiology. We can control it. And the way we control it is through breath because Pranayama is energy control. In Sanskrit, pranayama, which is the science of breath, is energy control. So as I just told you one way of controlling the energy is through rhythmic breathing. The next way is to work on a cellular level itself. So if you imagine, we are a community of cells. So each one of our cells is an individual unit that comprises of a complete ecosystem of cells and actually we are more germ cells than we are human cells and that's another fact so we're actually about 160 trillion human cells and about 300 plus trillion germ cells so you know what are we really so the yogic priests and scientists are all about know thyself is a secret so now science is now showing that right in the cell the energy pack of the cell the mitochondria is where the secret of health lies and there's also now like people like David Asprey who've gone really towards mitochondrial health because this is where energy is produced in the body. All right. Our currency of energy that drives every single cellular function is ATP and it's produced by oxygen combining with glucose, which is food basically, to produce energy. Now, Pranayama says that having too much oxygen is like putting too much air on the fire. So imagine each one of those mitochondrial energy packs is like a furnace. So too much fire. I was just making a bonfire the other day. I was actually blowing, bellowing on the fire and I was making flames erupt in the fire. Sorry, it's a barbecue, not a bonfire. 
And I was like, really like making these flames shoot up. Same things are going on in California, right? With the wildfires. Too much wind and the fire burns too bright. Same thing happens in the cell. You have too much oxygen going in, causes actually oxidative stress. That's why we need antioxidants. Too much fire. It leads to free radical damage and damage to the cells, right? Overbreathing, which actually happens as a result of emotional stress, leads to this too much oxygen going into your cells, causing too much fire, all right? So too little oxygen going into cells means there's no fire at all, which actually means that you don't have any energy or no life. Low emotional states quite often lead to that, and disruptions in this. And low emotional states like anger, fear, hatred, envy, jealousy, all these things where um, we're thinking more about me, 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 rather than we, we, we. And here's a little mantra for you. I, okay, is the first letter of ill. And we is the first letter of well. So if you want to be well, you want to start thinking of we, be a we person. And think that actually each one of ourselves is a community of cells and that we need to look after each one of ourselves and especially the gut bacteria. So on that level, we need to understand that we need to give ourselves the right amount of oxygen, right level of oxygen, not too much, not too little, and the right balance. That's what pranayama is about, energy control, right, on a cellular level. So you're saying that working out our breath and our lungs is just as critical as working out our muscles. If we get super efficient at using oxygen, so we can survive on the least amount of oxygen as possible, right? And this is why you'll see Himalayan yogis, why do they live in oxygen environments, very high altitude environments? Why are the Nepalese Gurkha army, are the soldiers who are hired by the British and Americans to win their wars, all right? Why are they considered the strongest army in the world? It's because they train at high altitude. Why do the Russian scientists invent a technique called intermittent hypoxic training? Because what they did was they study people who go to high altitudes, who go to very low oxygen environments and come back feeling better with more energy, more stamina, and even reversing diseases. They came up with intermittent hypoxic training, which basically trains your mitochondria to become super efficient using oxygen. The way it does it is by stressing the mitochondria a little bit, by creating low levels of oxygen in your blood, short periods of time, okay? This is known as intermittent hypoxia. And the yogis simulate this, rather than use machines, they use the, the best machine of all, which is our own body, by using breath retention, holding your breath. And by holding your breath for a few minutes a day, you can, if you do it in the right way, with the way I do it, with the rhythmic breathing and then breath retention, you actually can train your mitochondria to become super efficient using oxygen. And then what will happen is you'll be able to measure how effective this is. The two ways of doing that is how long can you chant OM for a single tone? So if you go, oh, I take a deep breath in and do OM, like that length of time, right, is a measure of your vital capacity, which is one of the best ways to biofeedback on how healthy you are, and also how long you can hold your breath. If you can only hold your breath with one breath in and out for like 15 seconds, it's a sign of very, very serious problems in your health. However, average is around 30 seconds. Athletes are going to be around 40, 45 seconds. People who, can, who are super yogis can do a minute plus comfortably. So these are ways for you to measure how healthy you are, how much stamina you have, how much flow you're getting in your life. And this is what we train to do within my school with SOMA. 
We train people to become super efficient using oxygen to really work on their mitochondria. Now, if you look at mitochondrial studies, like right now, a lot of start studies are going. Harvard University putting loads of money towards funding this research uh, to, because they know that the mitochondrial function is paramount if, for a healthy brain, for healthy organs, and if you want to prevent disease. You need to help have good mitochondrial function, optimum mitochondrial function, and brain fog and all this lack of clarity and low moods are also a result of poor mitochondrial function. So people who do my soma breath techniques, they actually get fitter, they get healthier, they report incredible moods and changes from emotional states, from being in depression to suddenly finding a new lease of life and all this amazing stuff without taking a single pill. You know, just by learning how to hold their breath in the right way. It's amazing. It's really cool. I did a breathwork workshop, holotropic breathwork, that I covered actually way back in episode four. But they talked about the benefits of getting less oxygen than usual, as long as it was regulated. But I think they called it hypoxia. Okay, so hypoxia, what I just talked about there was, it's basically where you have lower than normal oxygen in your blood. So... If you imagine when you breathe in, you breathe in oxygen, right? So that oxygen comes in and it binds to red blood cells. Usually everyone has an oxygen level of like 98%. We actually have loads of oxygen. There's not an, a shortage of oxygen in this world. There's all this myths about, oh, we must do heavy breathing. We're not getting enough oxygen, blah, blah, blah. It's all bollocks, like most of this stuff. Okay. Well, the problem is getting this oxygen off the red blood cells and into the tissue cells. So when you create a period of hypoxia, which is lower than normal oxygen, so the best way to do that is by lowering your oxygen level by holding your breath. Okay, so when you do certain breath retention techniques, when you hold your breath with no air in the lungs, that lowers the oxygen in your blood to a point when it goes below 90%, it triggers this response in your body, an adaptive response, because your body thinks it's going into a moment of low oxygen. You may have heard about intermittent fasting, where by just starving yourself for a little bit, by fasting, you actually trigger a little stress response, and it forces your cells to actually go into starvation mode and adapt and become more efficient. Same thing happens. When you have a brief moment of hypoxia, it makes your cells think that it's going to go into an area of low oxygen and it wakes them up and it makes them prepare and go into action towards um, producing more red blood cells to dilate your blood vessels. Your blood vessels dilate. So things like high blood pressure can be relieved and you get more blood flow to your brain. You can even wake up parts of the brain that haven't been used before and you get these sudden aha moments and inspirations. So how long is safe to be in hypoxia and what are you aiming for? What it, what's the goal? Only intimate. You don't want to do too much hypoxia. Chronic hypoxia leads to disease because it means you're not getting enough oxygen. But intermittent hypoxia, which is short periods of hypoxia, we're talking one or two minutes a day, okay, over a period of like 30, 45 minutes repeated. Like So you do like five minutes with normal oxygen and then a couple of minutes with lower than normal oxygen and repeat that over a routine, that can lead to this adaptive change in the body. This is the magic. With deeper practice, when you start to go into a point where 
you can really hold your breath for several minutes, like two or three minutes, you start to wake up the most magical effects in the body. And that is stem cells. Stem cells have the ability to turn into any other cell in the body, right? Now, when you create systemic hypoxia for a long enough period of time, the stem cells come out because stem cells hate oxygen. They hide in areas that are no oxygen and they come out and they go into areas where there's inflammation in your body because they've got an innate intelligence and they go to areas where rejuvenation needs to happen and they can be used to heal. But at the same time, if you don't need to heal, you can move them up into areas where you want to actually initiate and direct the growth of new cells. So that could be brain cells. If you want to manifest, if you want to visualize and you want to attract the things you want in your life, you need to change the actual neurology of your brain to adapt towards the reality you want to create. So this is one of the ways of doing that. It's a law of attraction on steroids. And also if you have healing that you want to do elsewhere in your body, if you want to actually grow stronger muscles or anything like that, you can actually direct those areas too. And that's what SOMA is also designed to do is to help you direct the stem cells or this new energy that you're creating to the areas that you want to go. And that is all done through this process using intermittent hypoxia. So what are some breathwork exercises that listeners can do at home so they can start feeling and receiving these benefits now? So first thing I would do is start to think of a rhythm, all right? So you can hear music, like dance music that has like a beat, like a do, 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 do. Or you can listen to your heartbeat, right? A heartbeat rhythm, which is do, 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 right? You can start tapping your finger to that kind of groove. It doesn't have to be exactly the same beat as your heart, or you can even listen to your heart and just get a groove with your finger and just start tapping with your finger on a desk like that, right? And you know that that, that beat is like one, two, three, four. One, two, three, four. Now, if you're ever feeling a little bit stressed, okay, what you want to do is change this, is to get into this rhythm, right, with your finger, and just breathe in that rhythm. So you breathe in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, in, two, three, four, out, two, three, four, in, two, three, four, out two three four in two three four out two three four and just keep doing that for like three to four minutes and see how you feel all right now if you want to go a bit deeper this is something you can do say you want to go to sleep do the same rhythm with your finger but this time you can slow it down a bit okay and if you want to get into a really deep relaxation you breathe in for four and out for eight because what you're doing is it's still rhythmical, but you're doubling the exhalation. But you want to keep it smooth and consistent. So it's, you're, going, you're blowing pretty much. You're going in, two, three, four, through both your nostrils and then out. And the exhale is going to be so it's like a smooth exhale. You can even do a chant like an orm. So it's like in, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Like you get it, right? And you just keep repeating that and just see how relaxed you suddenly start to feel. 
because you're switching on your sympathetic nervous system. I'm sorry, parasympathetic nervous system. And if for those of you who are geeks on this call and you're into things like measuring your heart rate variability and if you have a heart app that can measure whether you're in sympathetic or parasympathetic, you watch, you go from sympathetic to parasympathetic in a matter of a minute just by doing that four in and eight out to a rhythm. That's the simplest thing. That's the simplest breathing techniques to change your physiology. Then the deeper practices is with breath retention, holding your breath and things like that. But that you can actually find out more in our uh, online webinar. I'll definitely link to that in the show notes for any listeners who want to take that webinar. Otherwise, where is the best place for listeners to connect with you online? If you want to learn actually how to tap into autonomous nervous system and how to switch on your stress response or relaxation response instantly at will, kind of impress your friends and make them think that you're a magician. Okay, then you want to go to somabreath.com or right, sign up for the webinar. Or you can go to somabreath.com forward slash awakening and you go straight to the page and you can join our free Sunday sessions or watch a replay where we go a lot into the science of breath work and I give you a lot of background science of where all this stuff comes from. So it makes you really understand power of all this stuff. You know, so that is the best place. And then if you're really into health, you want to learn a lot about diet, nutrition and and uh, different practices on how to lead a more healthy, self-sufficient life. Then go to the renegadepharmacist.com. That's the renegadepharmacist.com. And there you get my whole wealth of knowledge, lots of articles that will help you. Since this interview, I've started doing a mini breathwork exercise before my meditation every morning. And I swear I fall into a deeper level of meditation. It might just be in the mind, but I mean, isn't everything? Breathwork and focus of the mind are two of the biggest things that can unlock your superhuman. Your potential is limitless and there's still so much that we haven't discovered back in school i didn't really like history i remember thinking all this crap's already happened and i don't plan on getting into politics so none of this is relevant to me but i realized i wasn't going back far enough back when people only had their time and their minds and their bodies and the earth to sit in stillness and receive wisdom instead of just focusing on capitalism all the time Anyways, thanks for sitting with me for another hour. All the links mentioned in this episode are at mindlove.com slash 057. You can support the show by subscribing, supporting our sponsors, or sharing Mind Love with someone who would appreciate it. For some extra inspiration between episodes, sign up for the Morning Mind Love at mindlove.com or text MORNING to 444-999 or visit me on social at mindlovepodcast. Thanks for giving your mind a little love today, and I'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning into your higher frequency with Mind Love. Head to mindlove.com for a free gift to keep your vibes up until next week. 